Today we continue in a series called Better Together. I guess the introduction has already been experienced by all of you. That is, if you're getting tired of being disconnected from other people, then you get the point. We weren't made to live that way. God has a better idea. But I have a feeling that we'll enjoy it all the more, all the better, when uh, finally we are able to meet together again. The series is based on the words of Solomon, purportedly the wisest man who ever lived. And he had some things to say about this idea of isolation and the need that human beings have for community. In today's lesson, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two are better than one. In other words, people connected and working together are more productive than those who try to do it or go it on their own. Today's lesson, we have greater productivity when we're together. We get more done together than acting as lone wolves. So today we ask the question, what is it that makes community work? I looked up the word in the dictionary, the word teamwork. The effective and efficient action of a combined group of two or more people. Effective and efficient action. Well, we are called to action as Christians. I hope we didn't forget that the action we're partaking in is done better when we do it together, when we do it in agreement, when we do it, each of us playing our unique parts as one committed whole. Now, when I think of team, there are a number of metaphors from life. Paul's going to use one. I use a different one, so I'd like to introduce you to my metaphor so you can get a picture of how my strange brain works. When I think of teamwork, I think of baseball. Sorry, ladies, on Mother's Day, but that's what I think about, okay? And I think about a particular action in baseball. I think about the short to second to first double play because uh, when I played baseball, um, I played a number of different positions for this reason. I kept hurting myself, and I wanted to keep playing, so I kept moving to positions I could play with an injury. And I kept injuring myself in the same exact place all the time. I dislocated this shoulder three times and separated it four more times. <laughs> and every time my arm got a little weaker. So I moved from catcher in baseball and fast pitch softball. To, I couldn't catch anymore because I couldn't throw anybody out running the bases. And then I moved out to center outfield positions because I was still fast and could run down balls. But in the outfield, I was forever diving for balls because I'm hyperactive and I can't help myself. And every time I'd land on the same shoulder. In fact, I remember sometimes I'd be laid out flat, diving for balls, still in the air, and thinking, now be sure to land on your left shoulder this time so you don't dislocate it again. I'd land on that right shoulder every time. So pretty soon, I made it into second base. Because second base, you have the shortest throws, okay? So I'm playing second base, and one thing I discovered that I hadn't thought of before in my other positions was the beauty of that double play, of the, the ball gets hit on the ground to shortstop to the second baseman, you turn it to first, and suddenly there are two outs instead of one. What a picture, what a beautiful picture of teamwork. 
Vanessa, they don't play baseball in Honduras? They do, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Oh, football and soccer. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Well, I actually memorized a poem about the um, short to second to first base double play. It was a famous poem that was written by a sports writer in 1910 about the double play combination of the Chicago Cubs. So those of you who are Cubs fans, here it goes. These are the saddest of possible words, tinker to Evers to chance. Two, trio of bear cubs, fleeter than birds, tinker and Evers and chance. Ruthlessly pricking our gonfalon bubble, making a giant hit into a double. Words that are heavy with nothing but trouble. Tinker to Evers to chance. You see... Uh, Joe Tinker and John Evers and Frank Chance were the shortstop, second baseman, and first baseman of the Cubs. And, and the poem was written from the perspective of teams who would be down one run late in the game, maybe the ninth inning, and their leadoff hitter would walk or get a single, and the team, would their, their uh, interest would peak. They would be excited. We're going to come back. We're going to make score some runs. We're at least going to tie it and send it into extra innings. But the next batter would hit a hard ground ball to short. And suddenly there were two outs and nobody on. Tinker to Evers to chant. Now, when baseball comes back, assuming it's coming back, watch for it. The double play, beautiful picture of teamwork. Paul uses a different picture that I think is pretty awesome too because he wrote before baseball was um, invented. You may think, well, why would Paul use a sports illustration anyhow? He used sports illustrations all the time, but he just used uh, more wrestling and running and exercises like that that existed in the first century. But uh, he uses, in this case, the human body. The human body is made up of lots of different parts, and each of the parts contribute. In fact, he's going to go on to say, some of the parts you never think about are the most important of all. I mean, after all, you make a big deal about the fact if you've got a problem with your finger or your toe or a, a, a mark on your nose or something, or you've got a stuffed up nose so you can't smell, and you think the world's going to end. But the truth is, nobody ever died from any of those. Have your liver go out. Now you're in trouble, right? Or much worse, your heart or your brain or other organs such as that that we don't even think about or see. They just do their work. I think about the heart pumping and pumping and pumping blood. Last night while you slept, it kept pumping blood, doing its job. You never gave a thought for your heart. Each part of the body doing its work. Today we're going to say this. Only God, our creator, can take the DNA of a man and a woman and form it into a human body. I know he uses the sex act. I get that. I really do. But the truth is that if God's not involved in the process, how do you explain the fact that, do you have brothers and sisters, same parents? Did they turn out differently than you at all? Probably some similarities, but probably some significant differences. Who decided those differences? Who blended the DNA of the same two parents and came up with infinite numbers of combinations? That's God, I think. And only God 
in using that as an illustration, only God can take sinners like us, redeemed through the blood of his son, and form them into the body of Christ. The human body, a marvelous mechanism. Let's take a moment. I looked up an article in the, uh, on the internet yesterday that said, a hundred unusual facts about the body. I know I don't have time for all 100, so I picked out 10 that I thought were particularly interesting. The largest human body is the femur. It can support 39 times the weight of a person's body. Ounce for ounce, that's stronger than steel. Your femur. Messages from the human brain travel along nerves at up to 200 miles per hour. In an adult human, 25% of their bones are in their feet. Here's one you won't be surprised by. The gluteus maximus is the body's largest muscle, right? Gives you something to sit on. A human's ears and nose never stop growing. And to go back to the previous one, for some of you, your gluteus maximus never stops growing. <laughs> There are more bacteria in a human mouth than there are people in the world. If a human being's DNA were uncoiled, it would stretch 10 billion miles from Earth to Pluto and back. The body can detect taste 15 one-thousandths of a second, which is faster than the blink of an eye. The brain contains 86 billion nerve cells joined by a hundred connections. This is more than the number of stars in the Milky Way. The lining in a person's stomach is replaced every four or five days to prevent it from digesting itself. Curious. So is the church truly functioning like a body? What does it look like for a church to function like Paul said, we are the body of Christ. Some suggestions from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First of all, the church is functioning as the body of Christ when all of us are sharing in one glorious purpose. Just as the body, Paul writes, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we have all been given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Uh, even in our small group of 10 or less people who are participating in this live stream, we can look around and see... Um, Identify the person who's exactly like you. We didn't invite that person, did we? Even if you have a twin, twins will tell you there are definitely differences, right? Not one part, but many. We as citizens of heaven do not dwell here on earth by accident. In other words, uh, after we came to faith in Christ and were saved from our sins and made fit for heaven... God could have easily taken us right to heaven at that very moment, but he chose to leave us here, and clearly that's on purpose. 
There is a divine objective for our presence on earth, but the truth is that none of us can truly fulfill God's purpose alone in a vacuum. Only when we are united as one body can we do God's will. Amazing to think, isn't it? Because some of you may think, hey, this sitting home and watching worship on TV is pretty cool. It's not cool at all. It's a necessary evil. This isn't the way we were meant to function. God wants us connected, working together. And I think clearly he's allowed this time. So perhaps it's so that we recognize how much better things are when we're working together, when we're demonstrating teamwork. I like this quote from St. Francis of Avila. She said, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ looks with compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which Christ blesses the world. Yours, that word your, can be used singularly, you as an individual, or plural, and I think he has, she has the plural here in mind. We together as the collective body of Christ are here to do what Christ did when he walked on the earth. We are now his hands, his feet, his mouth. When is the church functioning as a body? When each of us are embracing our unique designs. Already pointed out the fact there's nobody else like you, not in this church and not any place else. God loves diversity, doesn't he? And he loves diversity in his body. Uh, interestingly enough, though, most of us spend all of our time in life trying to be like somebody else, somebody that we admire. We immediately think that we need to be like them rather than just learn from their example. And the truth is, you're never going to be like them. <laughs> what you need to strive for is to be the best you that you can become. Using the metaphor of the body, Paul continues and says this, Now if the foot should say, your feet talk, right? Okay, this is a metaphorical, hypothetical situation. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? <laughs> you may think that's weird and strange, but I've seen churches, even big churches, successful churches, who were made that way. I remember there's a, a fellow, if I mentioned his name, many of you would know who it is, so I'm not going to mention him, who is a fabulous Bible teacher. And one time when I was in California, I decided to visit his church. And I got there early between services, so I was sitting in my car and watching people come. And what I noticed was every person who went to that church looked alike, dressed alike, carried the same study Bible under their arm, walked in the same way, and even drove similar kinds of cars. 
They had formed a church where everybody tried to be just like the pastor. Uh, frankly, from my uh, appearance, it made for a good Bible teaching church, but not a very attractive church. Because Bible teaching isn't the only thing that the church is all about. Where are the singers? Where are the people who can sit down and talk to you one-on-one? -on -one? Where are the people who clean the toilets? <laughs> Hard to do it while you're carrying a giant study Bible under your arm. There are different roles for different people, and that's the way it works in the body. Paul says, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body. I said that earlier, didn't I? God has done this. Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Truth is that you, as an individual member of the church, are gifted by God to play an important, and yet, let me, let me add it, unique role in God's family. Nobody can do exactly what you do in the way that you do it. Nobody. To this end, we must each discover our identities in Christ and develop the talents with which he has entrusted us. Too often in churches, people come um, and they start a walk of faith and they learn from certain people. They're led by certain people. They're inspired by other people. And they don't realize that just as significant as the roles of those people who are using their gifts, are you using your gift what is it that you do how do you contribute what is it that would be supremely missing from the church if suddenly you were gone there should be an answer to that question the bible talks particularly in the new testament about the gifts of the spirit that is that god gifts each of us in some unique way with talents abilities styles even that are unique to us and important to the life of the church. Sometimes, some people may seem weird or strange, but they are, are they any weirder than your hand by itself or your foot by itself or your mouth or ears or nose by themselves? <laughs> and yet, when connected to the body, when functioning in harmony with the rest of the body, it's amazing what they can do. What happens when the church functions as a body? Well, each of us also value the roles of fellow members. Another thing that happens too often is in church is, one, people don't discover their gift and their contribution. And then the other thing that sadly happens is, if somebody else has a gift different than you, you don't respect it. You don't appreciate it. You don't think of it as important as your gift, your contribution. And so Paul continues with the metaphor, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Weaker here is the word more fragile 
Okay? There are parts of your body that are more fragile <laughs> and very significant and important to your overall life. And the parts that we think are less honorable, the parts that we cover up with clothing, we treat with special honor. Well, I know that's true. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern each for the other. I take care of my fellow members, as you should, because I know my life is better if they're functioning well, if they're healthy, if they're contributing, if they feel encouraged. If they don't, not only do they suffer, I suffer in the body of Christ. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. You ever get up in the, in the night without turning the light on and stub your toe really bad? Okay. Which part of your body then stayed up the rest of the night suffering? The whole body, right? The whole body stayed up with your, your pitiful toe that was throbbing. <laughs> That's the way it works in the body of Christ, says Paul. When one's hurting, the whole church is diminished and everybody is hurting. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If someone does well with the use of their gift, it's best for all of us. What needs to happen on our end as church members is that each of us must simultaneously respect and coordinate with the talents and ministries of our fellow members. I need not just to ask, how can I develop and hone my skills as a church member so that I can make a big impact on my church and the world. I need to be asking that. But I also need to be asking, how can I help others in my body do exactly the same thing? And how can I work in such a way so that when I use my gift, it not only blesses people, but it encourages people to use their gifts as well. You must simultaneously respect and coordinate with the talents and ministries of your fellow members learning from them because the truth is you have something to learn from every other person who's gifted differently than you and bringing out the best in them. There is a phrase in the New Testament that emphasizes this concept. In uh, Koine Greek, it's the word alalan, one another. And there are a whole long list in the New Testament of these. Accept one another, love one another, be patient with one another, pray for one another, comfort one another, confess your sins to one another, <laughs> all of these. Even uh, show hospitality to one another and greet one another with a holy kiss. All of these in scripture mean mutually. I need to give these things to every other member of the church and I need to welcome them into my life when they give them to me. Sometimes you may see something, somebody who's particularly talented in an area, and when they use their talent, the whole church is blessed. And you think, well, I probably should say thank you to them, but they know they're great. <laughs> they
they still need to hear thank you from you. Okay, that's what encourages us. That's what fires us on to keep getting better and doing more. The encouragement of one another. There's the one another word. And finally, the church operates as the body when all of us are together doing God's holy work. Now, you probably overlooked what I meant by that statement. What I'm saying is, are you doing God's work? And if you're taking your gift and trying to use it for God's glory, you'd probably say yes. But the truth is, I don't know yet. Because according to Paul, that's not true unless you're also doing it in harmony with others who are using their gifts and talents. God is glorified oftentimes more by our working together than by the work we actually do. I mean, you do understand, don't you, that God can do anything that you may do for him and he doesn't really need your help. He's blessed you to use you, to invite you to be an instrument in his plan. But what he can't do on his own is demonstrate who he is. That's how he demonstrates through the way he works in our lives in harmony with one another. Paul concludes, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues, all kinds of gifts. So he rhetorically asks, are all apostles, are all prophets? Are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Again. Each of us uniquely functioning as part of God's plan. As we do, here's what happens. You can expect to see God move in miraculous ways to accomplish his will. Not when you take your gift and use it. But when you take your gift and use it in the context of the church, in harmony with your brothers and sisters, as they recognize and demonstrate their gifts as well. This reveals his glory and fulfills his great redemptive purpose. Sometimes human beings will talk about, I'm going to build a church. And they may talk about, really, they're talking about building a church building or they may, in fact, be talking in the true biblical sense. They're going to bring together a group of uh, like-minded Christians to fellowship together. And that's a beautiful thing to do, but the truth is they haven't built anything. Jesus said to his disciples shortly before he left, I will build my church. So anytime you look around and you go like, wow, we sure could use somebody who does that. Obviously not from God's perspective. If we don't have one, then no. Then maybe it's yet to come. Or maybe it'll never come. Maybe that's part, not part of his purpose for our lives. But if somebody gives you someone who does something, and you might think, how could God ever use that? Obviously, he has a plan for it. You better be praying, or they wouldn't be here. Whatever their gift, whatever their sense of humor, whatever their talent, Whatever their approach, whatever their style is, they're there for a reason. And Jesus takes all of the raw materials and says, I will build my church. When I was in Bible college, 
It was early in my Christian experience. I had been saved for only a year or two. And in that year or two, I didn't know what to do. I had never been a Christian before. However, with the church's help, I knew what not to do. <laughs> and, and what not to do meant everything I used to do. And two of the things that used to take up a lot of my time before I came to Christ and became a member of the church was music and sports. <laughs> every free minute. I mean, if they made me study, I'd study. But otherwise, everything, every waking moment of my life, music, sports, sports, music. Now I was a Christian, and I didn't know any Christian athletes, so I didn't know any way to play sports in a Christian way. <laughs> and the music I played didn't at all sound like the same thing that I was hearing at church, so I just gave up everything, and I just sat there and tried to be quiet. But when I was in college, I learned, first of all, that you could use your music, no matter what kind of music it was, for God's glory. So I learned to do that. But I also learned something about sports. I played on the basketball team, and on the, yeah, even at my height, sorry about that. But anyhow, I played basketball, and on the basketball team, one of my fellow players said to me, uh, hey, we're going to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes conference. Forty years later, I sat on the board of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Rockford, but I didn't, know, I didn't even know there were any Christian athletes, so that was a surprise to me. But since I had nothing to do on the weekend, I said, sure, I'll go. I didn't even ask who was there or what they did at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Well, this was a big convention in Kansas City, and when we got there, I found out that uh, the keynote speaker for this conference was this man. See if any of you recognize him. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Coach Tom Landry of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, if you knew that was Coach Landry, you probably thought you were old, okay? Except for, uh, I'm going to up you one, because I remember when he used to play in the NFL. <laughs> that's really old. <laughs> and uh, he was the guest speaker. And uh, when he spoke, I don't remember much of what he said, but one thing he said got me thinking, and I've still remembered it to this day. He said, every Sunday when I walk out onto the field, I look up into the stands, and then I look down on the field, and I think, how very much like the church is the NFL. And I immediately thought, I don't think those two things are anything alike. The NFL is all about knocking people's heads off. That's why I like it so much. And, and church is all about trying to be good people and do the right thing, right? I must be missing something here. He goes, no. Uh, how much like the NFL is the church? And then he said, it's like this. I look in the stands. 50,000 fans in the stands, desperately in need of exercise. I look on the field. 22 men, desperately in need of rest. How like the church is the NFL. In other words, a handful of people who know what their gifts are, taking them and using them, and working their heads off, and giving till they, they've squeezed every last drop out, and everybody else seeing themselves as spectators. Paul's making the point, no spectators in the body of Christ. Solomon would say the same. Two are better than one 
because they have a good return for their labor. More productive when we work together as a body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful today for this challenge from Paul that reminds us, even now as we're disconnected physically, you have a purpose for your church. We are the church. Someday we'll be back together. And you have a plan for our growth, for our development. Help us to embrace it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.